0: You're listening to a collective of Mission City Fellowship. Collectives are classes for learning and growing in grace together. In a collective, there actually is teaching and sharing from those in attendance. We purpose to only record the theological teaching aspect of the collective class. May this teaching bless you. May it deepen your understanding and knowledge of the Lord and His Word and may it greatly impact the way that we live life with one another at Mission City Fellowship. Let's begin very basic and then we'll we'll, we'll pick up speed. What is the purpose of the church? It is glorifying, proclaim Christ. Glorifying, proclaim Christ, yes. And that, I think that's big, that's for all God's people. What is Jesus, the commission Jesus gave to the church? Matthew 28 make Go and make disciples That is what we are supposed to be doing And in that we are glorifying and exalting Christ that, That's the big umbrella we're under But we're given a very specific task And we're given tools to do that task in the church Matthew 28 You know, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Teaching them Which is how we're making disciples Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you I love that we skip over all that I have commanded you. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And he says, and you don't do it on your own. I'm with you always to the end of the earth. So, end of the age. Whatever else the church may do, whatever else activities it's involved in, the church must clearly and persistently be about making disciples. All of the other purposes must be based on, come from, or go towards that. There must be a tie to that. Okay, Fellowship encouragement, evangelism, ministry, socially engaging our community, uh, all of that ultimately has to fit under that and be tied to that. And we want to be as clear as we can about that. That we have been divinely purposed by our Lord to go and make disciples. And we have been divinely equipped to do that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So we've been charged. And he didn't just say, go figure out how to do this. He said, not only have you been charged, I'm going to give you what you need to go do that. And I'm going to be with you while you're doing it. So we're well-equipped to do this. So a disciple is a person who has been born again by the Spirit um, in response to faith, repentance and faith, who is learning to follow Jesus. Okay? That means a church is filled with people who are learning to follow Christ. The commission uh, was given to the church, not just to leaders. And, of course, the church is not a building right? We're clear the church is the church is not your pastors. The church isn't even Jesus per se. Jesus is the, the husband to the church. The church is its members. It is those who are following Christ and we you know we've talked about this before even mentioned it at our members meeting last, last Sunday. It, 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 we're, we're disciples of Christ who are engaged with making other disciples of Christ who will then they will then be engaged in making disciples for Christ. It just keeps going on from, Generation to generation. Um, so, this means in the church that those who follow Christ by faith have a relational responsibility. If this is going to happen, this doesn't happen just <clears throat> if we're making disciples, it means something for how we engage with people and what we are intentional about in our relationships. If we are to grow into fully devoted followers of Christ, that means something specific about the kind of relationships that we have in the body of Christ. <clears throat> and you've heard, we've talked about this before. Hopefully, you, you hear. We have to have what, what we call redemptive relationships. It means something specific about how we love each other, it means something <clears throat> specific about how we relate to each other, it means something specific about how we care for each other, and, and, and how we're doing that on a consistent, regular basis. Um, it, it's not just optional, it's not optional, and it's not arbitrary. It's intentional, it's purposeful, and it's directed. This means we have to move from casual relationships to intentional relationships where growth and grace is always on the table, where growth and grace is always the agenda. Always. And we're going to look at that in scripture just a little bit. So this is just in way of introduction. We're going to look at how this happens okay how do we have redemptive relationships and as we go through this just giving you a, kind of a flyover we're going to talk about uh, about the biblical basis for this then we're going to move to what does that look like how do how, how how are we reacting in the world we're in and then just some practical wisdom at the end for what it looks like in our and how we engage with one another okay so this first first session really is why redemptive relationships are important in the body of Christ this is going to be like no duh Rob. You know I, know, I know you get this, but let's just lay this down and make sure we're all we're all on the same page here. Okay. The reason why redemptive relationships are important is because someone in your life, someone in your circle of friends, or in your family, or someone in this church had a problem this week, or has, has been dealing with a problem in their life. Okay. You've heard me talk about this. This is life outside the garden. We're not in the Garden of Eden where everything was as it should be and everything functioned like God, you know, designed it to sin has entered into that has broken that has broken people have broken the image of God, although we're still made in his image, it does not operate fully like, like um, God intended. And so we live in a world where things often are not as they ought to be. Um, And that's because of human sin. So nothing fully functions. it isn't to say that some things don't work, because they do, and some things aren't, aren't, aren't okay or good. It's just that it's, it's, not, it's not the environment God set up initially for humans to thrive. That was the Garden of Eden, and that's where we're going. That, that, that's our destination, okay? So the world now is filled with struggles. It's filled with suffering. It's filled with temptations. It's filled with opposition. It's filled with heartache. And adversity this is the world we live in this is the world that God's Son Jesus Christ entered into he entered into the same world that we're experiencing okay and he did that to save the broken people who are being broken by their sin and broken by a world that's sinful and, and just keeps crashing in on them and though we have been forgiven of our sin As followers of Christ we've been made right with God we've been adopted into his family we've been filled with His spirit these are incredible rich things that are the the baseline these are the anchors of our soul because we're anchored to Jesus Christ though all that is true we still live in a broken world that is more times than not not what it should be that has direct implications on on us it has direct implications on our relationships and how we engage with other people okay In this world, as redeemed followers of Christ, this is the context for all the living that we do. It's in that broken world. It is in that context that that all of our relationships exist outside the garden. It's in that context we have marriages that, that struggle and have difficulties. We parent our kids outside the garden. We go to work outside. We deal with finances, our health, all of this. And it has direct implications for how we process and think about what's happening in our life. And I say this again, I just think this is so important. Salvation, because we're more and more hearing, we were even driving by a church on the north side, it had a big sign out. What was it? The cross? The cross, one year, cross one year dominion. All right. Okay, it depends on what they mean. <laughs> But that's that kind of what, what people call over-realized eschatology where we're taking the world, we're taking the, the nation, we're taking stuff by storm. That's just so alien to the New Testament. And more, we're more and more saying that we, we need to be taking back and all these things. No, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If I wanted to, I could, my, my, my followers would rise up. But That's not what this is about. Yeah. His kingdom is coming and we have a responsibility to live like that kingdom. But uh, we continue to live in a world where things just are not as, as they ought to be. And salvation is not the restoration of the garden. And that's what this is, this is implying. So many of these, these people who have this kind of uh, theonomy, <laughs> believing the church is to take over the rule uh, uh, of the nation, people who, who push this kind of stuff, I, it, just, I just, it just really concerns me. Because they're thinking and they're believing that salvation restores the garden. And that's not what salvation does. Salvation restores the relationship of the garden. Mm -hmm. And we still live in the broken world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we are made alive in Christ. We have hope and we have joy. And he is working and he's given us his promises. He has has all these things. We know that, that he is coming for us. But we remain living our lives with all of the difficulties that presents in a broken world and the restoration of the garden is going to happen when Christ returns fully. And until then, we're living as new creations in an old creation. Okay? So, all of that theological construct someone in your life, not yourself, where this is this is this all applies for us personally, but we're, we're, we're kind of turning the arrow from inward to arrow outward. This is, we're thinking about other people here. It does apply in your life, and we'll talk through some of that. But we're talking about other people here, okay? Someone in your life living in that broken world where people and things are not as they ought to be. They had a problem or they're dealing with the problem. This is now part of everybody's life. The Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners is a good book that just pulls that apart and where we find hope in that. People we are called to love, have relationships with have problems and here's the thing these people who are in our lives are going most likely are going to seek help first from their family and friends that's usually where they go to they're coming to those they know to find help they're going coming to those they know to find direction and here's the thing so when they come to a person let's say just a a fellow brother or sister in Christ who's uh, maybe a family member or, or just a member of a church That person either received no help, some help, bad help, or they received biblical gospel-centered help. And here's here's why that's important. If that person doesn't get meaningful help, they're gonna turn somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And wherever they find help, they're gonna become an evangelist for that help. Mm -hmm. How many times have you had a friend, you gotta read this book, right? (laughs) Or Deepak Chopra changed my life, you got, here, watch these videos right i mean we've all had friends maybe we've even done that some but but they become they become like the champion for whatever brought change or whatever they felt helped in their life okay it will become essentially their good news it will become their gospel and we know that that is that that just that just takes them down the wrong path so thinking about all of that here's the question so what What do you say or what do you do when, let's say, a brother or sister is stuck in a sinful habit and they ask for, I'm not, we're not going to discuss it. I want you to start thinking about what would you do if someone came to you and they're stuck in a sinful habit? Or a brother or sister has anger issues, and maybe that anger even intimidates you. Anger is a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. Anger is, people who are really angry, that's a tough one. How would you, but how would you address it? How about a brother or sister who speaks poorly about their spouse or how about a brother or sister you work with who's already late to work and you hear what the boss and other people are saying about that or a brother or sister who seems to love their work or love money more than they love Christ and talk more about that or a brother or sister who is giving into depression how would you come alongside or maybe somebody who's a brother or sister who just shuts people down in conversations. Or they say really inappropriate things. Or, or you get the sense, you don't know, but you get the sense they're on a path to sexual immorality. And you're like, what do I do here? Or they're insensitive, or they're belligerent, or they're strident, or they're arrogant, whatever it may be. Uh, and the thing is, we know they don't seem to be aware of their behavior how do we engage with them in a way that demonstrates love but also points them to Christ or let's say you go to another direction, maybe it's not so much sin as it is somebody's just experiencing significant heartache what would you say to a brother or sister who has experienced the loss of a loved one or they've been deeply hurt by, a, by by a friend they feel just betrayed or they are riddled by guilt or they're shut down by shame I mean, you see their life, they are struggling. How do we speak joyfully? How do we speak lovingly? How do we speak truthfully with care and compassion and clarity into their life? How do we have those kinds of intentional relationships where we're helping each other to grow in grace? And the person doesn't feel like, well, they've just been served up and you know, beat up one side and down the other. This is what this redemptive how do we do this? How do we do what Scripture says when we're speaking to one another in truth? How do we come alongside? We'll be looking at this in just a minute. This is why purposeful, intentional, redemptive relationships are vital. A purposeful, intentional, redemptive relationship is one where the people are committed to helping each other grow in grace. That's a mutual thing. Growing in grace means something very specific. It means we are helping each other to obey and honor Christ, listen, in every area of life. That's what we're pressing on. Teach them to observe some of what Jesus said. No. (laughs) Teach them to observe all. And so the whole Christian life is we're making progress in sanctification where we're learning more and more and more what it means to follow Christ in every area of life because it's so easy. We can, oh, yeah, we really see it over here, but we kind we of don't, don't go over here. Okay? And so, so we're just helping each other through the course of living together, through the course of talking and worshiping together and ministry together. These things come up, and how do we engage with each other? This is such a vital part of what church is. It, you, you, and church relationships are messy. And yet the Lord tells us to continue to move towards people, even though they're messy. Okay. And there's all kinds of temptations that come with us. Uh, you know, it's easy to be the moralist to help a friend. You know, you ought to do this. You should just stop doing that kind of put the guilt trip on them. That's not helpful at all. Uh, you know, guilt is a powerful motivator, but it, it, it ultimately shoots you in the foot. And it's not what Christ does. Christ took our guilt. So how do we come alongside others? Um, and the gospel has this powerful category of guilt because we don't just feel guilty. We actually are guilty of sin. And what we may be feeling may be something totally, it may be of God, it may not be. It, it, that's not always the time, the, the thing. The power of the law is guilt. And The power of the gospel is rescue, and that's where we want to go—to the rescue. And being a moralist is like just bringing the law down on people. You know, that just I, I mean There's all kinds of other ways we can respond. I won't go into. We could be the advice giver, the psychoanalyst. Uh, there's the escapist. There's the fixer. I'm just you know a person who thinks they got to fix everything. When things are messy, we don't have that ability to fix things. We do have the ability to come alongside.
1: Uh,
0: you know, there's the mathematician. Let's, let's think about this logically. And all these, and there could be parts of this. You know, I'm just saying, be aware of what you tend to do, and hopefully we'll, we'll move from, from those kinds of responses uh, to really what the Scripture has for us, okay? Uh, my desire, again is to teach, uh, to teach us practical ways to help ourselves and to help the people in our lives to grow in grace and to be joyful, okay? How do you help the person in front of you? I've done this teaching, uh, the title of this teaching is uh, Developing Redemptive Relationships. I've also called this, in another church, I, I call this how to do face-to-face ministry. How do you, the person that's in, how do you do face-to-face, that's a good image too, I think. How do you care for the person that the Lord puts down in front of you? How can we be Christ-centered in face-to-face ministry? So we're going to look first at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I'll read verses 12, 13, and 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end so what are the dangers here we see an evil unbelieving heart essentially saying living living as if god does not care about every part of our lives living as if somehow god is absent another danger he's talking about here is falling away from the living god falling away here it means no longer looking to god as the creator and sustainer of your life something else you're looking to god is no longer god something else has taken his place and then he talks about after the evil unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God, that we are becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin all of a sudden means little to you. You don't care that you're sinning. Righteousness has no appeal to you. You don't care to to grow in grace. You don't care to go that direction. You've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You sanctify your sin, you baptize your sin, so to say. It's okay, it's not that really big of a deal. God's okay with it. God forgives. You know, that's his job description. He's got to forgive us. You know, that kind of attitude. These are the dangers that this passage is talking about, that, that it's concerned and it's addressing, and we should be concerned about it as well. So what is the prescription he gives here? The prescription is to take care. Basically, he's saying, hey, beware. Look at this. Know this. This is coming for you. You're susceptible to this. This is a real danger don't dismiss this don't take this lightly he he uses the word exhort which is parakaleo i love parakaleo i actually when i did this teaching i called it parakaleo i just thought this was such a it's such a great great greek word that describes uh has so much meaning into it parakaleo means it's exhorting and in exhorting there's this instructing but there's it's it's more of an urging in our instruction it's this entreating it's it's a confronting it's a challenging, it's an inspiring and an admonishing even and a warning that we are to do that. Listen, and what he says there, this is what this is what I want us to make sure we get. Every day, every day. We're doing this every day, every gathering, every conversation, every relationship, wherever the opportunity presents itself. Our relationships are not just casual. Yes, you can talk about the Spurs, the Cowboys, the weather, whatever. I'm not saying, but but in that somewhere we're always going to Christ, too. We're not, none of that's disconnected. And so where the opportunity presents itself. So, I mean, look at the descent here from this verse. An evil, unbelieving heart leading to falling away from God, becoming hardened by sin. When sin fills our lives in some capacity, we're entertaining it, we're hiding habits, we're hiding behaviors. That violates God, these things that violate God's ways and violate God's will, it hardens us to his life. It hardens us to what he's doing. It hardens us to his glory. It hardens and, and takes and, and saps us of, of desiring him and delighting in him. That's what sin does. It's interesting Tim Keller I I read once he he said when a Christian comes to me and tells me they no longer believe he says my first question to them is who are you sleeping with that you shouldn't be and here's the thing I want us to understand whether you've been walking with the Lord for a few years or for, for decades we are all susceptible to this and the person who's most susceptible is the one who thinks this would never happen to me Why? Because sin is deceitful. Okay, let's let's, let's do that. How many of you are deceived? Okay, where's your deception? You don't know. (laughs) That's the definition of deceived, right? But we know that happens in our lives. That is the power of indwelling sin, okay? It deceives us, and then it leads to all these other things, to the hardening of our heart, to the things of God. Until we are home with the Lord, sin is going to be operational,
1: yeah.
0: and it's going to deceive. So the passage here is about God's, how God, God is involved in our sanctification. But here, here's the point about this passage in Hebrews three: the point here is not about the role of God's word; it's not about the role of God's Spirit in our sanctification. The point here is about the role of God's people in our sanctification, and certainly the word and the Spirit are in it but this is about people and how God uses people in our sanctification. Okay? And those are the three primary ways that God sanctifies. That makes us more like Christ, that grows us in grace and grows us in faith. It is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And then the other means of grace that He gives us within that. This passage is highlighting the vital importance of other brothers and sisters speaking into our lives. And we we either do that skillfully, graciously, or we don't. Now, let me be, you don't have to wait until you feel like, okay, I'm now graciously and skillful enough to do this. You, you have to just grow, and you have to be humble. That's how we grow in this. You have, to, you have to move towards this. Your heart has to be towards that, though. Okay? In order to help us not be deceived by sin and to not plunge into the descent of an evil unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from God we need brothers and sisters who we trust and who can come alongside of us and God sends other people into our lives to help rescue us from our sin not to judge not to throw throw stones at us but to come alongside and say yeah I'm with you. Let's go in a different direction. People are a means of God's grace in our life. We are not called, and I'm going to hit this again later, we are not called to be the sin police. To search out other people's sins. Just in the course of living together, things come out. And not just their sin, your sin, my sin. (laughs) We're not called to be the sin police. Always having our... Okay. That's just... That, that, that's the work of the Spirit to do. Okay? It is not our job to go around and look for that. I'll talk about how this works, works out a little bit later. But we are called to care about what is happening in the lives of those God places in our lives. And that when we're willing to speak into another person's life because there's a relationship there and we're willing to say, Hey... I think you should change this. You go do that and tell me how it goes. (laughs) If you're going to speak something, you better come alongside and walk with them. We exhort one another every day, and he says, as long as it's called today, meaning until Christ comes again. As long as it's today, we're doing this, okay? And again, you (laughs) you don't have to have intense conversations about Christ every moment of every day. But he's just all in that. He's all in. If you enjoy the Spurs, he's in your ability to enjoy the Spurs. He, 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 or to talk about food. But it's always connected to him. And then in that, we're, we're able to move into, okay, yeah. I mean, just last night, we had, we had dinner with uh, uh, Phil and Danielle. And we talked about movies, and we talked about uh, books, and we talked about... And then it just the Lord just directed it. We, we ended up we just talked about the Lord. And ended up praying together. That and that just be part of what we do. You know, uh, it just it was such an encouraging evening. Okay. Um, are you prepared for and pursuing these kinds of relationships that our Lord intends for us to have? Well, what what is if this is the danger? What is the goal of redemptive relationships? What is the goal of redemption? Redemptive relationships. It helps if I don't skip a page. That's why, if you ever do teaching and you have notes, number your pages.
1: <laughs>
0: I made that mistake. I was years ago. I was preaching and I didn't number them, and I realized this makes no sense. These are out of order. <laughs> like, oh no! So here's the goal from Colossians 128 Here's the goal to present everyone mature in Christ. To present everyone mature in christ that's what we're after mm-hmm. and the and the joys and the benefits that come out of being mature in christ that's colossians. colossians 1 28 and 29 Thank you. this is what we're working for this is what we're praying for this is what we're asking god to do in our lives and what we're asking god to do in the lives of other people we want them to be mature in christ and to present everyone here's what paul says he says he begins in verse 27 christ in you the hope of glory Then he says, verse 28, Him, speaking of Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So we want to know what we're going after. We're never going to get there completely. We're never going to be fully mature. But, you know... Obviously, we want to be able to look at our life and say, yeah, I see growth. I'm not not where I was. I still got ways to go, but I'm not where I was. I see growth in my life, of what God's doing in my life, okay? Christ in us, the hope of glory. How does that look in our lives, day to day, in our character, day to day, in our activities, in our decisions? What does that mean, Christ in us, the hope of glory? And then certainly in our relationships. And Paul's toil, he struggles for this end it's this to present all god's children that that are in his life and that he's ministering to that god would use through him to touch you know generations of believers uh to present them mature in christ not just in christ but mature in christ so here's what he does he says so to that end we proclaim him what is the message christ in our relationships we aren't promoting 10 healthy steps to Christian life or five steps to joyful living, we are proclaiming Christ who is the hope of glory. And when we, we start moving into ten steps to this and five steps to this, we've moved from gospel to law. It's law like, but it's still law. And the law, the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. If that's what if that's what it's doing, okay. And here's the problem. Here here here's what can be good. The purpose of, of the law is to bring us to christ it's to show that we have a need to be rescued oftentimes the the how-to list don't 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 lead you to that it's like oh no you can do this you you can do this this is you're capable and when we put that and introduce that into our relationships it can have a really difficult effect versus saying no this is the holy standard we have we could fall up short, we fall way short of that. We need to be rescued. You need to be rescued as much from your sin today as when you were first born again. We need as much of God's grace now. And it takes all of His grace to cover our sin, even as a follower of Christ, as it did before we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we are proclaiming Christ. Our future is tied to the glory of Christ. His good is our good. His life is our life. When Christ is active in a life, when Christ is leading a life, they will be happy and joyful people as a result. The goal isn't to be happy, joyful people. That's the result of following. That's the result of growing in Christ. (laughs) She came out. The true colors. (laughs) When I told everybody else not to do, I just did. (laughs) don't touch the dog dog. dog. healthy Christian life and joyful life is not the goal it's a byproduct of the goal glorifying God by following Christ in every area of life is what we're after if you're holy you'll be happy if you're holy that doesn't mean everything's going to be working great but it does mean that, that the work of the Lord is in you and he's working these things he's applying his redemption and his, his, his atoning work in your life. We, and so in this, we must never assume Christ in our relationships or in our conversations in these redemptive relationships. If we're trying to present everyone mature, don't just assume that people know these things. Let's, let's say them. Let's state them. Let's keep coming back. State who Christ is. Talk about who Christ is. Point to Christ. Bring people back to Christ again and again because we want to help people look to him even as we are helping people to look like him. And so we're ha- it helps us too. We're pointing ourselves to Christ. You see that <laughs> change isn't isn't um, there's not a sanctification method. Change change it changes from the Redeemer. It's a person. We just want to keep coming back to that because it's easy to think, here, let's take these steps. And there, and there's wisdom. And I don't want to overstate that. There's wisdom of what we can't pursue. But it's Christ. He, he changes us. And he continues to apply the power of his atoning work. He continues to plead our case before the Father. He continues to work this in our lives every day. And we're warning everyone. There is an edge sometimes to what we're doing. Uh, The edge is not to be abusive, it's to bring clarity. Warning is not an excuse to be difficult or unkind. The purpose of warning is, hey, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned here. Warning is saying, hey, you know, I I could be wrong here, but watch out here. There's something that that doesn't look right. Don't, or a warning is hey please hear me don't keep going in that direction mm-hmm. and how you say it matters don't keep going versus don't keep going in that direction mm-hmm. said the same thing but totally different effect mm-hmm. one came out of a heart one came out of judgment yeah. don't keep going in that direction you know boy, please stop, or something bad could, could happen, or you're going to miss out on something really good if you keep going that direction. We're warning them in this kind of way. This is, That's what I mean by edge. I don't mean edgy. I mean, But it does say, yeah, we're saying this isn't good. This isn't good. And part of warning is a willingness to walk alongside of them, not just to drop truth bombs on them. And he says that we're not only doing that, we're proclaiming him, we're warning everyone, we're teaching everyone in all wisdom. Teaching people. People, helping people to know how to follow Christ in every area of life. And he said we teach wisdom, and it's interesting, he said we teach it wisely. Not just what, it's not just what he's teaching, it's how he's teaching it. It's how, he's, how we're bringing this to bear in people's life. He demonstrates the skill in bringing wisdom to others. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is about skillful living. It's about skillful living like a carpenter or someone who's able who has the ability to, to craft something and do something like on that it, it, it but it's skillful living it's the ability to do that in your life we're teaching we are warning we are proclaiming so people will continue to grow in grace and live spiritually skillful lives again like a doctor who is a skilled surgeon able to use a knife like a skilled lawyer able to apply the law in pointed ways like a mason who can lay bricks or build rock walls. For the Christian wisdom is following Christ in skillful ways, knowing how to obey in every situation. See, the gospel brings the heart, and then the work of the Spirit is teaching us how do we be faithful and grow in obeying Christ in every area of life. Wisdom is the ability to skillfully put things together in your life so that your public and private life are the same. I. I are we <laughs> um. I remember back, way back, when I was first at this, my former church, I was working with youth. And and I remember one night, these kids had grown up in the church. They they knew all the Sunday school, and they knew it all. And one, not all, but they 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 were well schooled. And I remember just saying, like stopping, and saying, "What's going on in your life? Like, what's really happening? Where's the Lord intersecting?" And, you, and here's one of the things, that came, I remember I came to I just broke down, it was just so sad what I heard. And it was the thing that was most difficult for these young people was hypocrisy in their parents. It wasn't weakness, it wasn't sin, it was hypocrisy, the projection uh, as if there wasn't sin. They could handle weakness, but it's like, you know, I see what my dad does on Sunday morning and that's not how he's like Monday through Saturday. projecting this kind of image living skillfully spiritually skillfully is putting your public and private life together because they should be one it should be a holistic thing we are who we are whether (laughs) anybody's watching us or not wisdom is the ability to skillfully bring truth and love together in a conversation wisdom is the ability to apply scripture in your life in such a way that you're being conformed to the image of Christ you keep pushing on things yourself these these really are part of what Paul means when he he says working to present everyone mature in Christ so what does mature mean mature means complete not perfect but but complete in the need in the sense of needing nothing else like full-grown all the essentials are there they may not always be functioning fully and always on display but they're kind of all there And it's just more and more that they're increasingly there in their life. They're increasingly, obviously, there's increasing evidence and increasing fruit of of who we are in Christ and what that looks like and for our relationships. So a mature person has a faith that is strong in the face of struggle, that's, that's strong in the face of hardship or pain or suffering. Not perfect, but they demonstrate a trust in the Lord even when things are going south. Mature means that they are processing. This is a a mature Christian. Presumably, is someone who's processing in this life. They're constantly processing what does it look like to follow Christ in every area of life? Are there areas where I'm not following him? True maturity is a person whose first concern in every situation, in every conversation, in every decision, in every relationship, each and every day is, how do I honor Christ? And they think that way increasingly because we do that. We segregate parts of our lives, right? We're like, yeah, Christ here, Christ here. But there's a not so much here. Oh, they increasingly see, yeah, that part, that part, that it's all. I want to honor Christ in all of this. And I want to grow in honoring Christ. I want to think first about what it means to honor Christ in every area of my life. And with that, the fruit of the spirit is constantly growing. And other people are enjoying the fruit of the spirit. In our lives, you know, the fruit is really given for other people, and so there's this increasing sense of we're growing in Christ and the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Good one. Self-control. You know those. (laughs) That those things are increasingly on display in our lives, not perfectly. But, but, but there's more evidence. Like, I see that in my life. I used to not be very, pay- I see. Now, a year later, I am more, pay- I used to not be very, love- I'm more, I used to not be kind. I see growth in those. That, that, that's what we're, 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 we're wanting to present people who are growing this. We want people who are using their spiritual gifts to serve the body so that the church can do what it's called to do to go and make disciples. We think people who are, who, are, uh, being, who are maturing in Christ, they're growing in their affections for other people. They really have turned the arrow from inward to outward. They're moving towards other people. Even though they may be struggling, even though they may be in pain, they continue to move towards other people. And here's what Paul says about this. Paul said he was toiling That means he was exerting lots of effort here. Lots of energy. Again, I I think this is an important point to make. Because there there are people out there who who espouse the let go, let God kind of thing. And I understand what they mean, but I don't think that's really what Scripture says. Let go and let God. In the New Testament, we see all these active verbs. right? Paul's toiling here. Uh, We're told to strive, to press on, to put to death. You know, in redemptive relationships, it will require toiling. It will require exerting effort. It will require expending energy for the sake of presenting everyone in our care, in our lives, mature in Christ. Now, we're not ultimately responsible for what goes on in a person. We, we can't. If they choose, we can't. It's not on us. But we are responsible how we respond to them. But notice the text here. When Paul is is toiling here, he says struggling with all his energy. Paul is doing this with the power and strength of the Lord in his life. That powerfully works within me. The struggling was done with Christ's energy. We lean on Christ for this. Again, listen. When we talk about the gospel, at the heart of the gospel is that what God requires out of us, he provides for us. And that's just remarkable that's what grace is about what he calls us to do he provides the means to do that redemptive relationships can be hard they can be depleting and there's wisdom for that but we must continually look to Christ we must continually call on him to show up in our relationships and in our conversations we are looking for his active presence he's never absent what did he say again when you go and make disciples He's with us always, please hear that, always, always with us. So our aim is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our goal, it is our desire, and that's just another way of saying we're making disciples. But it is Christ's work, we don't forget that, it's not our work, it's Christ's work. We can't save anyone. We can't sing. You can't save your kids. You can't sanctify your kids. You can't save a spouse. You can't. That's the work of the Lord. We have responsibilities towards them, but we don't control that. And as soon as we let go of that, the better off we'll be in trusting the Lord with those things. So I just kind of want you to, to close your eyes for a second. I have some application questions. I just want you to think about this and then we'll, we'll have a break. Uh, just how would you answer this just to yourself what are my responsibilities towards my brothers and sisters in the church how would you answer that how would you answer this am i prepared to care for and help someone who has a problem or or is in crisis what would it look like in my life to actively exhort others according to hebrews 3 father we just we need your help lord we don't just we really do want to be faithful to you and part of following you in every area of life is having these kinds of relationships so we need your help because it can be intimidating and it is it, is, it makes us vulnerable at times. It, it opens us in ways that maybe we're not comfortable. So we, we, we look to you, Lord, to do this work, to continue to teach us, instruct us, but Lord, to do this work in each of us, that we would, we would move from casual relationships to purposely redemptive relationships. We need your help to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's take a break. We'll be back in about 10 minutes.